Well, good morning. And uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us on Facebook. And uh, a special welcome and thank you to any who may be joining us for the first time. Or for those who are not typically part of Cornerstone, uh, maybe you live further away or maybe you are in the area but have never been with us in person, uh, I want to especially thank you for joining us. Uh, you have a lot of options uh, nowadays to join on Facebook Live or any other streaming platform, and we feel privileged that you've joined us today. Would you uh, join me as we pray? Father, thank you for this day, for the opportunity <clears throat> that we have in these next moments together to open your word. This word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Able to divide between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. Today, as we open your word, we ask that you would be pleased, our Father, by your Holy Spirit to reveal to us truth that we individually and corporately need to hear. We acknowledge that we live in difficult days. But your church has always lived in difficult days because this world is fallen. It is dark and perverted, as Paul says. And the enemy roams about to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus, you have come that we might have life. And that more abundant. We ask that you would be pleased to reveal to us areas in our life where we need to confess or repent Areas in our life where we need to pursue you more. That we might indeed live the abundant life. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Please open your Bibles with me if you haven't already to Galatians chapter 5. Over the last two weeks, as we came back to the book of Galatians from our hiatus in December, we, we were looking at the fact that we are called, if you will, or we must walk in the freedom we have in Christ. We must. If we're going to be the people God has called us to be, we must walk in the freedom that is ours in Christ. And in the passage in verses 1 through 18 of Galatians 5, Paul gives us three reasons why we must walk. And we've looked at those over the past two weeks. The first reason is because Christ has set us free. He has set us free from any form of law or legalism that we might look to or, or, or try to utilize as a means of justification before God. 
There is no law. There is no uh, system of religion, whether it's, it's the Gentiles in their paganism or the Jews in their, in their Jewish law. There is no system of rules and regulations that has the capacity to justify us before God. The law was given to the Jews as a means of helping them realize that they're not adequate. They cannot ever live up to this standard. And therefore, they need God to be their Savior, to redeem them from themselves and their sin. And so the law or a system, or whatever system that is, of legalism, is not a means of justification before God. Christ has set us free from that mentality or that thinking. We also talked about the fact that Christ has set us free from the, the law or a system of legalism as a means of sanctification, as a means of growing us up, simply because no matter how good those laws or rules may be, there is no way that an external list of rules can transform us into the person God has called us to be on the inside. It doesn't have the capacity to do so. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in, in Galatians 3, if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on the law. But it cannot. Paul talks about this in Romans over and over again. These things cannot bring about life. They cannot bring about transformation. No matter how good they may be. Christ has come to set us free from having to depend upon or try to live out in our own strength and effort these things in order to commend us or grow up in the Lord. The second reason he talks about is because Christ has called us to freedom. We will walk in this freedom because Christ has called us to freedom. Verse 13. But he says, only do not let this freedom you have become an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, as you swing that pendulum from trying to keep a law that you never can keep and being set free from that, don't swing that pendulum so far that you now think you have license to do whatever you want to do. Because freedom in Christ is not about self-indulgence. It's not about doing whatever I want to do. It's now being able to do what Christ wants me to do, which I couldn't do before without the Spirit of God, without this salvation that is mine that we just sang about. And so I've been set free. And so I'm going to walk in that freedom. Christ called me to walk in that freedom. So freedom in Christ is not about self-indulgence. It's about self-sacrifice. He says, but through love, serve one another. In fact, he says, the whole law is summed up in this one thing. Love your neighbors yourself. He says, if you were to live this way, under the power of God's Spirit, you will be fulfilling the law and you won't have to worry about it unless the rules and regulations. Because you'll be living it as God intended it to be lived. There's a third reason why we're to walk in this freedom. That's because God has provided for us the means of walking in freedom. And that is by His Spirit that we receive at the moment we place our faith in Christ for salvation, God plants His Spirit inside of us. And now the Spirit of Christ lives in us until the day of redemption, until the day He brings us into His presence in glory. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And He says in verse 16, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
the flesh and the spirit are in opposition to one another, waging war against each other. We have this wrestling nature within us. We are born with it. We are born again through Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit. It's now we've got the Holy Spirit, we've got the flesh, waging war within us. He says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. It's important that he doesn't say you will not have desires of the flesh. Or we would all think, we're not saved. Because <laughs> we all still have those. He says, but if you walk by the Spirit, you won't carry out that desire. And he concludes that section by saying, if we are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. You're free. Now we come to verses 19 to 26, and we're only going to look at the beginning part of that today. But I'm going to read the whole passage. Here we have a contrast between the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Paul wants them and wants us today to see the difference between what happens when we walk according to the flesh, what is the evidence of that, what is manifest in our life, and then if we walk by the Spirit, what is produced in our life, what comes forth. He wants us to see a very big contrast. So listen to what he says, verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which, he says, I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But, here's the contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ, Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. What Paul basically is saying is, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a choice. You can walk one of two pathways. You can walk the pathway in the flesh, or you can walk the pathway in the Spirit. And he wants us to understand, if we choose the pathway of the flesh, this is, this is a representative list of the kinds of things that become evident in a life that is lived in the flesh. We're going to go through each of these, these words and give a brief definition of them. It may seem a little heady this morning, but the reality is we need to know. And again, this is not a full list. This is a, not an exhaustive list, but a representation of the kinds of things that come forth in a life that is dominated by the flesh. Okay, let's look at the deeds of the flesh. Deeds in the flesh. 
The word deeds means works, right? Works that are done in our own effort. When we are working at life, when we are doing what we want to do, when we are doing these things in our own effort. And the word evident, he says, deeds of the flesh are evident or manifest. It means open, evident, well-known. Anyone can see them. These are the things that evidence a life lived in the flesh. And this grouping of 15 words can be, can be uh, put into three different groupings. Possibly four if you want, but I'm going to do three. First of all, the first three are sexual sins. Immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Immorality is the broadest term used in Scripture, porneia. And that's where we get our word pornography from. came to refer to all forms of illicit sexual behavior outside of the bond of marriage. And by the way, marriage in the scripture is between one man and one woman. There's no other, there's no other uh, deviation from that, according to the scripture. You've got to do something with the scripture to change it to justify that kind of uh, marriage relationship. The Bible calls it immorality. And it's not just that. All kinds of forms of immorality. It could be heterosexual. Two people outside of the bond of marriage living together as if they're married when they're not. That's immorality according to the Scriptures. Impurity term referring to moral uncleanness in thought, word, or deed. You may not have acted in a way, but you're thinking, right? Jesus said if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. So lust, dirty jokes, inappropriate conversations, The kinds of things that are often talked about in the workplace between maybe two men joking about something, maybe a man and a woman, things go too far, joking, conversations. I, you know, I, I worked in construction uh, when I was in high school and then uh, in college a little bit for my father. And, and the construction site is not a, always a, uh, uh, a pleasant site uh, for conversation. And lots of kinds of things are talked about there. But I tell you, I, after going to Bible college and being in ministry for a lot, of, a lot of time, you know, I just wasn't around this kind of uh, talk on a regular basis. And then when, we, uh, when I had my office in, in another building in, in the area and uh, there were other people in there, uh, I heard this stuff again, and it just saddened my heart to hear a married man and a married woman, married to different people, having inappropriate banter and, and joking, going back and forth when you walk by their offices. It just, it's sickening. But it happens all the time. It ought not to happen among the body of Christ. It's impurity. It's, it's sin. 
sensuality, an open, shameless, brazen display of impropriety, lack of restraint. We see it all over the place in our culture. Indeed, we live in dark and perverted days. But it's in the darkness the light is to shine the brightest. And so when you and I choose not to live this way, well, we will stand out. In fact, our light might be so bright that it hurts the eyes of those in darkness. You ever, you ever been in darkness for a long time? Your eyes adjust to the dark, right? And you walk out into a bright light, and man, it, it, it's almost blinding. It's so, it hurts the eye. Well, let me tell you, folks, we live in such a dark time, and we oftentimes adjust our eyes to the darkness. And certainly those who are living in this and, and participating in these things, our eyes have adjusted, and when you and I come with the light of the gospel of Christ, it's hard to see. It hurts their eyes. It could be offensive. Well, the flesh affects much more than sexual things. Religious sins, the next two. Idolatry. Oh, well, well. Idolatry. I mean, that's, that's pagan stuff, right? That's back in the day when they would bow down to wooden idols or gold idols or whatever. No, idolatry... Is the worship of idols, but anything that takes the place of God in your life and my life is an idol. Anything that has become number one other than God is idolatry in our life. It could be a hobby, it could be another person, a spouse, a child, a girlfriend, a boyfriend. It could be a thought process that, that is very different from the Word of God. You've brought into a philosophy of thinking that now dictates how you live your life or how you think about life, and it's contrary to God and His Word and, and who God is. It could be a commitment that you have, a commitment to something even good. I think about the church of Ephesus. When the letter in Revelation 2 is written to the church of Ephesus, the, the Lord commends the, the church of Ephesus for their stand on doctrine and stand against heresy. But then he says, but I have this thing against you. You have lost your first love. Idolatry. The thing they were committed to most was to stand against uh, error, but that became their idol instead of letting their love for Christ be number one in their life. It can happen to us. And anything can replace God first place in our life. We've got to be careful. that We do not operate in the flesh and allow idolatry to become a part of our life. Sorcery, which literally was, is, is a word where we get our word pharmaceutical from. The use of drugs in black magic and drugs that were used to either poison people or, or as a means of witchcraft, mind-altering, mood-altering drugs that were used to in witchcraft and in, in uh, pagan kinds of uh, practices. 
Now, I want to be very careful because I'm not a doctor and I don't understand a lot of those things. And I understand to the best of, of my ability to understand that there are times in which a person needs help because something is out of balance in their life, in their mind, and in, in their thinking, and all those things. And there's quite possibly times when under the direction of a physician who, who is working with a person to prescribe uh, medications to help with these things. But we've got to be very careful that we do not come to depend upon mood-altering and mind-altering pharmaceuticals to function in life. I think we, and again, I'm not a doctor and I don't understand all these things, so take what I'm saying and evaluate it from what God says. But this word is talking about these kinds of things that were used to alter people. We've got to be careful. That's all I'm saying, be careful. I, 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 I didn't do the research on this, but I would probably be not shocked, but, but saddened to find out the percentage of people in this, in this country who function only because they have some kind of a, a drug that they take regularly. Young people, older people, it doesn't matter. I just say be careful. If your doctor says you need this right now, by all means, I'm just saying be careful. Number three, relational sins. Enmity. Hatred of other people. Whether it's the color of their skin, the country they came from, what religious background they're from. Sometimes we think we're justified to hate somebody who's of a different religion. Because maybe that religion is responsible for persecuting Christians around the world. So we think we can hate them. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where we're called to hate anybody or hate sin, hate what people do. I don't see, as a believer, ever being called to hate my enemies, whoever they may be. In fact, what does Jesus say? Love your enemies. Enmity is hatred of other people, other people groups. Strife is quarrels and fighting between people. It's a natural result of enmity. When you have animosity or enmity in your heart towards somebody else and you're in a relationship with that person, it's going to create strife. That's the work of the flesh. Let's, let's, not, let's not blame it on the devil. It's the work of the flesh that's inside of you and me. Jealousy, a form of anger and hateful resentment caused by coveting what someone else has. I see you have something I want. I become jealous. Outbursts of anger. These are outward, often unrestrained reactions driven by self-centered anger. Outbursts of anger. Just explosions for no apparent reason, no good reason. I have dissensions and disputes kind of 
slipped in the notes. I was going on memory, and I wrote this out, and I got them backwards. So dissensions are divisions between people. And disputes are self-centered attitude, which works to get ahead at another's expense. <clears throat> They're very similar. They're very similar to some of these others. These are just words that Paul used. Again, and factions, again. Actually, the word factions means heresy. It has the idea, from what I understand, <clears throat> of dividing people over things like convictions and, and religious beliefs and personalities and things of that nature. Because we don't agree on something, it can become factious. Envying. Desire to possess what belongs to someone else. Because of jealousy, right? And envy are, are very similar. I want what you have. Drunkenness, <clears throat> excessive drinking of, of alcohol to the point where it becomes controlling over you. <clears throat> Under the influence, right? <clears throat> Ephesians 5, Paul says, we're not to be drunk with wine, not to be under the influence of alcohol, but instead be filled with the Spirit under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the word carousing, Closely associated with, associated with drunkenness, acting in a sensual way. And then he says, and things like these. This is not an exhaustive list. Oh, it's, it's a good long list. It's a convicting list. Well, listen to what he says left. I want, to for, I want to forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we understand what he's saying here and what he isn't saying. We would just be like, okay, who can, who can be saved? Who can inherit the kingdom of God, right? Let's talk about the consequences of walking in the flesh. Number one, the discipline from God. He says, those who practice such things, understand what that word practice is in the present tense, which means continual action. It means habitual action. It means uh, continual lifestyle with no confession or repentance. When you continue in these, these things, or some of these things, or any of these things, without recognizing it's wrong and it needs to be confessed or repented of, it demonstrates a person is not part of the family of God. If somebody chooses to walk in these things and sees no problem with it whatsoever, continues in it. No regret, no remorse, no confession, no, tr off, uh, no, no attempt at repentance at all. This, I believe, is what Paul is saying. Those who practice these things as their normal habit of life shall not. It's evidence they're not part of the family of God. So what do you do with a person who is caught in addictive sin cycles? where they, they give in to sin, temptation, and give in to sin. And then they feel guilty about it, and they, they call out to God in confession about it. They try to walk in some 
form of repentance, but then fall back into it again. And this cycle goes on and on and on in their life. Does that mean a person's not a, not a saved, not a believer? I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. Most likely, if they are feeling bad about it, and, and in this process, most likely they're either a believer or have been exposed to truth enough that they know and understand. What do they need? They need help. They need somebody to individually counsel with them because inevitably there is some stunting of growth and maturity that has happened in their life. Oftentimes, something happened to them. Probably as a child. That contributed to this. They need counsel and accountability in their life. And somebody to walk alongside of them in a discipling relationship that will help them to think clearly about what the Bible says. Because the reality is, every one of us, there's some forms of belief structures inside of all of us that are not quite right to the Word of God. And when we believe something in our heart, it will come out in our life. And so when and if these kinds of things creep up at times in your life or in mine, it is evidence there's a belief system inside of me that isn't accurate to the Word of God. I'm believing something. I might say uh, and think a certain thing, but what do I believe in my heart? And so we need to be in the Word of God and maybe somebody walking beside us helping us walk through the Word of God, using the Word of God to renew our minds, to transform our lives. That's what Paul says in Romans 12. So that we do not continue in patterns and belief systems that are not accurate to God's Word that then produce these kinds of behaviors. And then what else is a consequence of living in the flesh? The last verse of the chapter. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. I love Joe Stoll's definition of boasting. The puffing up of our nothingness. There's a lot of that going on. A lot of that that goes on inside our hearts. Thinking we're something. Thinking we got it together. Thinking that we, and it can happen to a person who has walked with the Lord for a good many years, who's got all the rules laid out, and who's living by those rules, and who then evaluates everybody on those rules, and then measures themselves with other people based upon their list of rules, and can come out looking pretty good. And then there's this arrogance that wells up in the heart. And then judgment of other people. We challenge one another based upon some of those kinds of things. And, and again, I understand when there are clear things in the Scripture that we're called to live by, we live by them. And we evaluate people by them. How do we live in relationship with people? 
not challenging and envying and boasting, but through love serving one another. And it's sometimes a challenging feat to walk that balance, I understand. But again, you go back to the passage we looked at last week in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be what? Consumed by one another. Let me ask you a question. What does Jesus say the world will know us by? Our love. Not by a list of rules and regulations. Not by how well we keep them. Not by how well we live out the commands of Scripture, which we should. But one of the commands of Scripture is what? Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Pray for them who persecute you. Bless those who come against you. We are to stand against evil. We are to stand against error and heresy. But we are to do it in love. Speak the truth in love. I want to uh, reiterate what Rick said about, about you coming to this, this ABF. We need to know, first of all, what does the Bible say about these issues of gender and, and all of that. We need to know. Because we will be, if not already, we will be confronted with this reality. We're going to need to have an answer. But we also need to understand that there are so many people trapped in this. And as the culture continues to affirm and celebrate what God says is wrong and is a deviation of truth, then they will continue to be caught up in this. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, you who are spiritual, or if any man is caught in any trespass, you are spiritual, restore such a one. We are called to be able to engage our culture with love and truth to be able to help rescue and so we need to understand the issues. We need to understand and talk through these things. Lest we be consumed. And when the world looks at the church and sees the church can't get along with each other and the church is fighting over, over issues that are really uh, non-essential issues. When there's strife, and discord, and, and, uh, and factions within the body of Christ, the world is looking and saying, why on earth would I want to be part of that? See, that's all part of the deeds of the flesh. Next week, uh, Sean Coffey will be here to share with us, and, and for my conversation with him, he has felt led to share, so to preach some things about spiritual warfare, so I encourage you to be here. And then the week after that, we're going to come back and do the second part of this message.
looking at the fruit of the Spirit. But let me conclude this way. Do you see evidence of some of these kinds of deeds of the flesh in your life? Well, that would be an area you need to talk to God about. That would be an area you need to bring before God in confession and walk in repentance. And let me, let me just tell you, walking in repentance is a journey. Identifying the issue is the beginning of this. It's not the end of it. Identifying that you maybe have a problem with anger is not the end of it. It's the beginning of this process. And so you bring it before the Lord and you confess your anger before the Lord and these outbursts of anger. You confess it to the Lord and you ask God to give you the strength to overcome and to walk in repentance of that. And when you mess up and you will mess up again, you bring it before God in confession again. Accept the forgiveness that Christ has offered you it's not based on your performance. It's based on Christ's work on the cross. You accept it, and you get up, and you entrust yourself once again to the Holy Spirit for the authority and power to walk in repentance again. And you get accountability from somebody who can call you out when you are not walking according to these things. And it's a process. It's a journey. Secondly, do you see a sin cycle in your life? Do you see a pattern that's continuing? Get help. Ask somebody to walk this journey with you. Be willing to bring yourself under a discipling relationship. Somebody who can walk beside you through the Word of God, but somebody also who can call you out, who has permission from you to say, hey, wait a minute. You need to look at this. You're not thinking clearly. You're not acting right. And thirdly, do you see habitual practice? You look at these things and say, what's wrong with that? I have the right to do that. After all, I'm only human. I mean, what do you expect? When you begin to justify, if this is something you continue to justify in your life and say, yeah, I, I don't need that. I'm not here to question anyone's salvation, but I'm here to, to say, listen, if that's a habitual practice in your life and you see nothing wrong with it, and God has clearly said in his word, this is not right, then you need to evaluate where you are with Jesus Christ. I don't want to give anybody reason to doubt genuine salvation, nor do I want to give anybody false hope that they are saved when they're not. Paul lays this out to the Galatian church to say, look at your life. Here's a way to evaluate. Because those who are engaged in this habitually, and this is the practice of our life, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a warning. And may it be a warning to us as well. Our gracious Father, thank you for giving us your word. There are places in the Scripture where we're given encouragement, where we're given reminders of, of hope and, and, and all that you've done for us. And then there are passages like this one that warn us. Here's what it looks like to live in the flesh. 
And God, if we take your word seriously, we've got to take these things seriously. If we believe that this Bible is the inspired word of God, capable of rebuke, correction, teaching and training in righteousness, we've got to look at this and take it seriously. For Paul does not say for no reason those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not saying it as an indictment to send people to hell. He's saying it as a warning for those who need to hear it that they might come before God in humble confession and repentance and placing their trust in Jesus who's the only one who can save them from themselves and from their sin. God, today, we ask that you would convict every one of us where we need to be convicted. And bring the life-saving message of the gospel to bear in each of our lives that we can Live in this freedom Christ has given us. Freedom from the flesh. Freedom from all of these evidences of the flesh. By the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we look forward in a few weeks to looking in depth at the fruit of the Spirit who, who, who works in us. As we yield to the, the Spirit, He produces fruit. that changes our lives. Oh God, be merciful to us and guide us in all the truth. We ask it in Christ's name.